Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the Sledgehammers in the Office podcast. Today, we're joined by Alex von Ritchie. Close enough. <laughs> How do you actually say it? Uh, von Reich, yeah. And that's from? Uh, German. It's German last name, but I'm from South Africa. All right. There we yeah. go. Uh, what are we drinking tonight? Uh, we are drinking a Spindrift. I have literally never heard of these until two days ago. Uh, can't say it's like my favorite drink ever, but it's what we had in the fridge and it's, uh, pretty good actually. It's like slightly better than LaCroix, but it doesn't look as fancy as LaCroix. So spindrift. <laughs> a little better in your marketing department and you might be doing well. You know, uh, that's why I don't do marketing. <laughs> yeah. And then as always, champ, shamrock, chocolate fart, chocolate milk. Chocolate fart. Is that Farms. Nice, nice. Yeah. Is Shamrock your, your favorite go-to uh, chocolate milk? Yeah, that's like the top of the line. I mean, what about the glass The glass one? Isn't that also an, like an Arizona chocolate milk? Probably, which I don't know. I haven't really... People have gotten that for me before, but... Yeah, not not your thing? Not like... Eh. Not going out of my way to get it. That's fair, that's fair. Yeah, and I'm usually always very specific. It's the whole milk, not the 1%, because... Yeah, you got to get Give me gains. all the dirty stuff. <laughs> All right, um, so usually we're doing our weekly episode. We've got a couple of the other guys here, but uh, Mason, I believe, is in Vegas having a good time. I think they're doing a bachelor party. And then uh, Joe got stuck at work late today, so we're just going to do a little one-on-one interview session. Um, so we've known each other for about a year now. Yeah. Uh, heard about what you did with the company, and obviously we don't have to name names of where you work, but we'll kind of just use descriptions and go from there. Uh, so wanted to kind of jump in because it's an area that I know very little about. I had to look up on Wikipedia one of the things. So I was <laughs> like, all right, there yeah. we go. Um, so you are a business intelligence manager for a property management company that specializes in medical buildings, if I understand correctly, or medical offices. Yeah, so it's a REIT. So it's slightly different from property management in terms of it's a company usually that's public. Um, Not every REIT is, but this REIT specifically focuses in medical office buildings. REIT? Yeah, real estate trust. Okay. So uh, a lot of people are normally investing in this to get dividends, and they want to make sure that there's good returns. So they're generally looking at commercial real estate. There is there is um, like apartments and stuff like that type of REITs as well. Um, it really depends on where you go and what, what people are focused on. But medical office REIT is one of those niches that people go into. Um, and they can handle everything from the property management, the acquisition disposition side of things, but also, um, you know, going around and construction, tenant improvements, that kind of stuff. How big are these companies typically? Uh, it depends. Uh, there aren't that many that specialize in one. So there's there are REITs that like will specialize only in senior living facilities, some that focus on medical office buildings. Usually... They can go, any of the specializing ones can go anywhere from like a, a, a few like $10 million in terms of like valuation of the business to like $10 billion. So um, anything bigger than that, you're usually getting a lot more um, cross-functional in terms of they're, they're buying like senior office, um, senior buildings or buying offices, medical office, they don't really care. They're just like, okay, let me buy all the commercial buildings. So with those trusts, they own the properties that all these facilities are on? Traditionally, or depending on the business model, some will do like joint ventures. So they'll partner with bigger organizations and say, okay, well, 
if you front the capital, we'll do the property management. Or if we front the cop, um, we front the capital, you can do the property management. So there's a lot of joint ventures. Some of them are 50-50, some of them are different, but you know, some people will partner with like really, really big commercial property uh, owners like Lincoln or CBRE and say, okay, well, like we don't want to handle X factor. We don't want to handle, you know, getting tenants. So if you handle that, we'll take care of the building, but then, you know, and we split the ownership based on how much effort you spend on that. Okay. Yeah. So that brings us back to my question in regards to what does a business intelligence manager do? Sure. I mean, what, when you hear the word business intelligence, what do you think of from business? Because I know you're not necessarily in the tech world or in the corporate world that much anyway. So what would you, when you just hear business intelligence, what do you think that means? When I heard business intelligence, I literally thought of how smart are you at business? <laughs> and then for some reason, I decided to, when you, like you had sent over, like, let's talk about business intelligence. Yeah. I was like, huh, like, let me just look it up just to double check <laughs> myself. And I saw it was something else. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm a moron. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's something that's kind of come up in the last like 10 years it's not necessarily something that's been around for a super long time before that it was kind of like data analytics and data analytics is one of those things that's like marketing like marketing encompasses a lot and so does data analytics there's and and business intelligence business intelligence is really just using data to make informed business decisions because in today's day and age with technology being where it is it's so easy to get your hands on all kinds of data. Even if it's like, oh, I'm uh, you know, just collecting a manual list of all the people I'm talking to when I'm showing them houses, or um, I'm keeping track of all the information about my clients when I do a construction job for them. It, it doesn't really matter. Or even like looking at your analytics for this podcast. I've seen, okay, here, here's all the people who are listening to this podcast and here's how they're getting that information. So just looking at the information is that first step, kind of like the data analytics. But then you're starting to ask like the, so what? Okay, so so what? Why, why do I care about this? Then you go a step farther and you say, okay, how do I make this relevant to the business so that they can make good decisions? Because when you're one of these bigger companies, especially with commercial real estate, when you own like five, six, 700 buildings, you're not gonna know every little detail about each building. Maybe when you own 10, yeah, you can go and, okay, I know exactly who the tenants are. I know exactly how much rent I should be going, how much it's going to cost to maintain these each year. But after a while, it gets like no human is good at remembering all of those details. So business intelligence comes in and says, okay, let me aggregate all that data for you, create a dashboard and say, okay, hey, these buildings are doing really well compared to every other building. Maybe you should look into why that is. And these buildings are looking really bad compared to all your other buildings. Maybe you should look at why. And then, you know, maybe you see, oh, shoot, you know, even though it's in a good area, we just have really shitty tenants in. Or, oh, you know, we have, it's in a terrible area, but it's doing really well because of, you know, we fixed it up or something like that. And so basically you point people in a direction of saying, okay, based on the data, we should do X or we should do Y. That's really what business intelligence is. So how much of... The direct application do you have to have an understanding of so it's not that hard to get started like you can do business intelligence with excel on a pivot table if you really want to it's a lot of work because every time that data changes you have to go and do that stuff again 
with the, some of the tools that I use, it's part, half of it is the technical knowledge in terms of knowing what the tool can do and what benefits, you know, how to use it properly. And the other half is understanding my clients, right? The, the business people who are usually executives who need to know, okay, how do I get this information in front of me in a way that makes sense? So I need to first understand, okay, what decisions are they trying to make? And what are the things they wish they knew? You'd be surprised, especially in commercial real estate, how behind a lot of companies are in terms of technology. Like there's $10 billion companies out there that are being fully run out of Excel. Like it's crazy. You would think, okay, well they should have some automation. No, no, they're literally doing all of their accounting, any kind of data, if they make any kind of changes, publicly reporting for Wall Street, whatever, everything is being done in Excel. It is ridiculous. And so going in there and saying, hey, we should change things up. A lot of people are really resistant to that because they've been doing it the same way for 10, 15, 20 years. They're like, okay, hey, I've been, you know, I think this is a little bit before your time, but Lotus 123 was existed way before Excel. And people are like, well, I've been doing stuff since Lotus 123. So, you know, back off. This is, this is my process and this is what's good. And it's like, all right, sure. You, yeah, you can do it that way. Or you spend one time loaded into a database and then going forward, your job takes half as long because now you have a dashboard that does all the things that you were doing. There's so many times where you see even like executives doing basic things in Excel, like pivoting and, and What's altering. Pivoting? A pivot table in Excel is how you kind of change around data. So if you want to group it by certain columns or something like that. So would that be with a lot of the functions? Internally? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's like a basic functioning in Excel. So if you say you have a list of, like 20 um, tenants and you want to group it by building or you know maybe even a certain region uh, and you know which region each one of those tenants are in you could kind of pivot it so then the region it would show region gotcha, and then gotcha, the number okay. of tenants in there and you can kind of get better better data that you wouldn't necessarily see if you just had it on a pen and paper or on just a plain sheet of excel yep yeah okay so a lot of executives are going through and you know executives are getting paid a lot to make big decisions but most of the time they're struggling because they don't have good visibility and they don't have good understanding of their own data and so many people are very overwhelmed by data because they're like okay well it needs to be this really fancy process and it really doesn't but a lot of people come in like especially from the IT side they'll come in and be like okay well we need to upgrade everything to the brand new tool the the nicest things we need to have a nice database and everything and then they come out this well the technical jargon like if i just came to you and i just started saying all right so you know you take the sql database and then you're gonna yeah, eyes glaze over immediately and so it's it's really important and you feel stupid which i'm assuming that you get an executive in a company starting to feel stupid something that goes I can understand Excel yes. because at a certain point I learned Excel, but you start saying that now I don't know what you're saying. Right. And once I don't know what you're saying, I either have to one, put in the investment to learn it or am I becoming obsolete or, and, but also like control, right? Of you, when in, a, in an Excel, you theoretically know where it came from, even though anyone can write in it and overwrite it and make your data worth worthless. Uh, but going in there and saying, hey, look, I'm not trying to make things more difficult. I'm not trying to change the way you work. I'm trying to help. I, I want to give you visibility of your data that you've never seen before. I want to pull in fields that you've never had access to. I want to structure it in a way that's going to be incredibly beneficial to give you that so what. And it's usually a, a tough 
like it's really hard at the beginning to do that but once you start breaking through and you kind of like prove the validity of those reports it things start falling through and it just gets easier and easier because they're willing to sacrifice more time to work with you because every time they invest in you invest their time working with you they get time back because like oh shoot okay i worked with alex you know 10 minutes on this thing gave him some feedback and all of a sudden now I have a report that I never have to pivot again or I need it, I never have to mess with again and it gives me exactly what I need. It's up to date every time and it, it's pulling fresh information. So the the power of that is really undervalued in a lot of places. Gotcha. And in regards to those systems or the that get put in place, that's created by a third party, right? So Excel is owned by Microsoft, these other um, software companies will own whatever platform that you guys are hosting that on, right? Yeah, so a lot of it is, it's becoming pretty agnostic. And, and what I mean by that is like, it's not really dependent on a single program anymore. There's so many different ways. And especially with a lot of these big commercial properties, they usually have a software already like MRI or Yardi, right. which are very much focused on property management and they, already contain all that information. So if you have a dashboarding software like Power BI, which is owned by Microsoft or um, Tableau, which is another like dashboarding reporting software, those plug into the software you already own and are using and pull out that information and say, okay, here, I've already connected to all the fields here. What do you want to see? So it's more about knowing how to organize that and exactly showing the executive or whoever your user is what they need to see. So for, I'm assuming the ones that you guys are working with are probably at a price point that smaller companies would not be interested in, or am I incorrect in that assumption? The, the thing a lot of people overthink is that, okay, first of all, yeah, it's going to be a really expensive piece of software or yeah, it's going to be, you know, really, really complicated. I'm going to need to learn basically the matrix to be able to make this work. Right. Um, and it's not it's not really like that anymore. Um, a lot of this, this technology, like for Power BI, you most of this stuff, functionality is built into the standard like Microsoft Office Online license. So if, you, <clears throat> if you're subscribed to Microsoft Office, then yeah. like you're you, most you have the basics at your fingertips. Okay. If you want advanced stuff, I think it's like 20 bucks a month or something like that, which for a small company really isn't that big of a cost. No. And... A date. My thought was, if we're looking at like, hey, it's a thousand dollars a month. You've got a small company that's going, all right, yeah. Excel sounds good. Right, right, and and that's totally fair. But at the same time, like, you can still use Excel as a database. It's not recommended, but for a small company, if you have again, if you have like twelve properties and you just want a quick dashboard that refreshes anytime you update that Excel, you can make that. And the thing is, is nowadays it's not really about how well do you know one specific software? Like that's a little bit useful, but everything changes so much. So like today, especially in the corporate and tech world, it's about how good are you at learning and adapting? Like you're, you're gonna be irrelevant in 10 years if you just focus on one software and you say, this is my one thing and I'm never gonna change. I'm only gonna know Excel really well. I'm only gonna know Power BI really well. And 10 years, there's gonna be a new change and you're gonna be irrelevant. No one's gonna be like, okay, who needs to talk to the fossil over there? Because that guy is useless. And how much of that is done through, like for you personally, through company allocated time to say, hey, 
here's a block of time over the next day, week, month, whatever it is to get updated on a new system you want to implement or is it a lot of times up to the individual to try and educate themselves on that? It's almost always up onto the individual. I would say very rarely have I had leadership that's been like, okay, go and learn this. There's been very few instances where I've had that opportunity. Um, and usually it's ironic. I've had better insight on what is going to be bring more value to my company when I go and interview at other companies. Cause then I'm seeing, Oh, they're putting a lot of emphasis on this. This is a similar company. And when they're interviewing me, I'm almost interviewing them back in terms of saying, Oh, okay. So, you know, for, for me two years ago, I knew nothing about power BI. I had never used it before. Um, I've, I've never had an, uh, an official certification for it. I've never gone to like a college class for it. Everything I learned was YouTube and doing it in real life experience and just figuring out, okay, how the hell do I do this? Um, and I started really emphasizing Power BI because when I started applying for other jobs and I was interviewing, I found that every place started mentioning this tool. And I was like, okay, I knew it was around, but I didn't bother putting energy into it because it didn't seem that cool. I was like, okay, well, why do people care about it? And it was only after I started interviewing, there were a couple places that I was talking to and I was like, they really care about this. Like they're looking the tool's been out for like three years. They're looking out, they're looking for people with like five, six years of experience. Obviously that doesn't exist, but, <laughs> but I was like, okay, obviously there's a really big like push to get people who know this stuff. So it must be a big deal. Right? So because of that, I started digging a little bit more and I found out, Oh shit, that, like there's some really cool stuff that this can do. And I actually brought that back to my current job and I was like, okay, I played around with this. I had a little bit of free time. I did some research on my own time and I came back and I built this thing out of Power BI. And they're like, wow, okay. We had no idea you could do something with that. Do more of that. And that like led to an explosive growth in my career because I started doing stuff like that. So it's it's been really interesting how I've come into new technologies. It's never been like one person coming in and saying, hey, Alex, you know, we want to give you two weeks at work paid to just go figure this thing out. It's never been something like that. Which, and I think for myself and then probably a lot of people, there's the idea that IT and the, all this stuff is changing so fast that mm -hmm. you need to be updated all the time. So that's where part of it goes into kind of the thought process of like, all right, like, do they need you to, we need you to go recertify. I've got an uncle who, um, he works with, he's in the IT world. He works mm -hmm. for, uh, he's in Tucson with one of the community colleges down there. He's running a lot of the stuff that they've got yeah. going on with that. And he's, always having to be on top of certifications that are up to date, stuff like that. So it's like, Oh, like that would be frustrating. Cause he's like, right. some of them, he's like, they're stupid. Like I could teach the class, yeah, but I've got to go get it. Well, it. And it really depends on what sector you're in, because if it's something like cybersecurity, then yeah, you, you need to go in and do it every year because the way people are hacking into systems, like ransomware didn't exist like 10 years ago, but now that's a really big deal. And so a lot of people are getting trained on that. So it really depends on what aspect for analytics. Like it's a little bit slower than other industries in term in the it world, in terms of you don't necessarily need to go and get certified for every, every little thing that comes out, but paying attention to general trends and seeing what, what people are looking for in the industry is really important because that does start shaping your career. And if you're ahead of the curve, then you immediately have years more experience than other people and can start, you know, sticking out from, from other people.
So with that, how do you start implementing that with a team as far as do you just have to basically take point and say, hey, here's what we showed to some of the higher ups. They said we want more of this. So basically we got to get on board and go from there. Or how does that conversation usually work? Well, I mean, first of all, it depends on the type of people you have. Um, and, And everyone's different in terms of how they manage other people. There's um, there's also a very big difference in terms of how people uh, approach that type of learning. With my team, uh, we had I have a very small team. There's three people under me. There's two contractors and one full time employee. Now, uh, one of the contractors we hired soon after I became a manager, and he already had Power BI experience, and and but had wanted to learn more about the Power Suite. There's some like workflow stuff and and other apps that you can build with other tools. But he had not really done much of that before. And then uh, we had a SharePoint guy. So SharePoint is like a online list. It's kind of a directory. It's been around for ages, but um, Microsoft is still refusing to kill it. So it's it's around. <laughs> um, and my SharePoint guy, had he's been in the industry forever. He's been in IT forever. He's done SharePoint forever. And he had never done any kind of development. But when we had our last guy leave and we hired our new contractor, there were gaps in knowledge and we needed our SharePoint guy to start learning other technology. That at this time wasn't Power BI and that, and that Power Apps in general. Um, and then as we started going, we realized really quick, oh shoot, this tool that we are having him learn isn't the right direction. It's gonna take way longer if we have him do everything but if we have two developers learning the same thing, we can go twice as fast. And then they'll be able to help each other and we'll be able to move forward faster. So basically the way we posed it to him is like, hey, this is the direction we want to go. We see tremendous opportunity. If we keep doing this stuff, there's gonna be great work. It's gonna make it better for everyone, but there's a steep learning curve because it's a brand new tool you've never used. You've, done, you've been doing something essentially the same way for the last 10 years. And he was amazing about it. He was like, I want to learn. I want to, you know, go and and figure it out myself. And he did. And uh, I think as a manager, something that I did to try to help that was give him space, first of all, not make sure that people weren't on his back demanding on other things. And then kind of drawing the line between, okay, this is a priority or, you know, tell them to buzz off and focus on learning because this is more important. And now that, both he and the other contractor have started learning this stuff. They've been going off to the races. They've been helping each other. We've gotten way more done because we have we were allowed and gave people the breathing room to learn this stuff and execute and most importantly fail. Like it's okay for them to mess up. Like no one's going to be an expert right right as you start, especially on the self learning process. And um, he even went out and sought uh, our employee even went out and sought a learning opportunity. He's like, hey, I found this class. It's free but it's a full day. Can I go do it? Absolutely. Yes. Why not? And he went and did it. And afterwards he was doing so much better. He's like, I have such a better understanding. I feel more confident in doing it. And the quality of work that was coming out afterwards was so much higher. Yeah. How much of, so obviously it seems that there's a disconnect in some ways from people who are in the management to obviously what you guys see immediately in front of you or mm-hmm. the tools that are kind of I don't know, uh, 
becoming more prominent in the industry. Mm-hmm. So what demands do you guys see? Is it purely on the, hey, we're looking for this information. You guys then just have to go use the tools that they don't necessarily, they're not fully up to date on, but they're just like, hey, go do whatever you do. We need to know what this is. So I've I've had both. I've had a organization where they were very in front of the data of, okay, I need to know this information. Alex, you and your team go figure out how to display this information to me. Or, and this is exactly what I need and I need it tomorrow or five minutes from now. Like, go, go, go. And then I've also been in the organization where it's, they're so drowned by what their, their current like workload and everything they're doing now the fact of if I come near them and I say, Hey, like, I'd love to just watch you work and see what troubles you're experiencing and stuff like that. Most of the time. So like, I would love to, but I'm just too busy. I don't even have time to like, have you watch me or explain, like, I'm just so swamped. I'm so overwhelmed. And it's really hard to get in there because you know that you can be helping these people out, but they're so drowning that they can't even give you a second of their time to say, okay, well, um, you know, this is a big frustration point and this is a big frustration point, or you're, you're just kind of weird for an entity to them. They're like, eh, don't, don't come near me. Like I, 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 I can't waste time on you kind of thing. Yeah. Gotcha. So with that, you've got four people, the mm-hmm. amount of tasks that you have, like there's times where I know we've talked about previously, there's times where it's that go, go, go. Like, oh, yeah. I need something right now. Let's not wait on that. How soon can we get it? Mm. Give me a one word answer and go. <laughs> right. Um, is that basically just almost like a continual stream that you guys are dealing with for the most part? Yeah. I mean, it, it is really project oriented. It's very, it's, it's very similar to construction in terms of like, you know, you can have a lot of jobs lined up and you know that, okay, we need to get this wrapped up so we can start the next job. But if something happens in the first job, then you need to communicate, oh, hey, you know, so-and-so, I know we said we'd start the job in March, but we got pushed back, we're waiting for materials, you know, whatever, we can't actually start until April. Like, the big part of all of that is all three of my people do vastly different things. There's only a little bit of overlap between two of them. Everyone else does incredibly different sections. Um, And so the work is so varied. So the thing I found to be successful for my team is no matter what to be extremely good at communicating of just saying, Hey, I'm dying over here. I need some help or, Hey, I've actually finished my stuff way earlier than usual. I can help someone else or, okay, we need to pick up more projects in this area, or we need to put, pick up less projects in this area. We need to push back more in this area. So all of it has been kind of like a stream of information. And I meet with my team every morning and I say, okay, you know, what did you guys work on yesterday? What are you working on today? Like, what do you need help with? Um, what do you need my help with? Because sometimes they, they're like, hey, this person's been bugging me nonstop. They keep asking me about this. I'm like, all right, I'll come in and say, hey, he, that is not his priority right now. As his manager, that is not what this guy's working on. Or this is not what this person's working on. They need to focus on something else. And so yeah. sometimes as a manager, you kind of need to be that stopgap and say, look, I know that you think that your thing is really important, but in the grand scheme of what the company's trying to do right now, like we need to focus on something else. I hear you. I know that it's important to you and we will get to it when we can. But sometimes people don't take that super well. Yeah. How is the, you, you mentioned there's a lot of communication in the team. How is the rapport with the team? Is oh, everyone awesome. pretty tight knit? 
Oh yeah. I, we, we've been working with each other for more than a year and a half and I've known some of these people for going on three, four years at this point. They're all really amazing people, really mature, um, really hardworking individuals and they'll tell you exactly as it is. So I really appreciate that about my team. So there's kind of a no BS line there in terms of if something's messed up, they won't lie to my face and be like, yeah, I can totally get it done tomorrow. Uh, they'll be like, dude, there's this one error that, uh, an example is on Monday I had, um, we had a due date for a project and one of my guys was supposed to have something by the end of day, Monday, he's supposed to have a finished version to me. And he contacted me halfway through the day. He's like, dude, I've been working on this all weekend. I've been working on this all morning. I cannot figure it out. So we talked through it. We walked through it together. Even I, I, I didn't know how to solve the issue either. I was like, all right, keep doing it. I'm going to communicate to the user. Hey, sorry, we're going to have to push it back because it's just not working. And, um, you know, and then Tuesday came and went still wasn't working Wednesday. And he's like, dude, I've been busting my butt on this so many times. I still don't know why it's not working. And we talked through it a little bit and then he gets a Eureka moment and then he figures it out. But at the end of the day, he was communicating to me. He was upfront. I really love that. My team is willing to say like, I don't know, or I, I don't know why this isn't working or I'm going to find out. And so that's kind of the relationship that we all have. Even I'll say to them, if I don't know, I don't know, I'll, I'll go figure it out or I'll go ask management or I'll go Google it if I need to. Whatever I do, I, if I tell my team something, they know that if I'm saying it, it means that I actually know what I'm talking about. Or if I don't know, I'll, I'll be the first one to say, I have no clue. Which I feel like the two big things with that is one, respect amongst the team. Oh, yeah. And then uh, two, the competence. Because it's if, you've, if there's someone who's running a team and they know that they've got a jack wagon who's a part of it and they're saying, Hey, like something's going wrong. Something could be going wrong, but right. it's a boy who cried wolf scenario Yeah, where it's like, Hey, like, I don't know what the hell's going on over there, but just get it done. Right. So it's, um, when I was with the window and door company previously, we had a certain situation like that and they're doing so much business that they're still drowning. Um, it was crazy when I was there, it seems like it's only gotten faster, but, um, it seems that in certain situations that that pushes a lot of people together. Mm -hmm. Like you can, it does two things. One, it's going to crack people or it's going to push them together and right. they've got back to back. All right, this is it. So, um, what I almost wonder, like this is probably more of a tangent and we'll <laughs> kind of take your thoughts on it. Uh, I kind of look at Twitter or a lot of these companies where, Twitter's the one that I can think of most because they just fired a ridiculous amount of people. Yeah. But it seems that every once in a while, they're throwing bodies at a situation. Whereas in some areas, I like like I mentioned, it's like I've been a part of basically small companies yeah. for all of my working career. Yeah. So you start to get used to, hey, if we don't have each other's backs, we're all screwed. Right. So, but then you see some of these areas where, or people who are talking about, oh yeah, like here's how much time you can get off. Like you can go take like a mental, what like hiatus, mm -hmm. even if it's in the office, what, whatever that means yeah. and go from there. Um, I don't know. In some ways I'll kind of just leave that open in terms of you can take that wh whatever direction you want, but uh, where do we draw the line in terms of, Hey, we've, we've got a, 
large volume to deal with. Mm -hmm. But if we just start throwing people at it, when is that not the solution? In in corporate world, it's really interesting. You find that in the projects that, like especially the big things, right? Like big system implementations, or you know, there's a big initiative that they're trying to change, and they're they're trying to change pay structures or or whatever. In big organizations, it really comes down to what is the leadership doing about this? Because if your leaders aren't involved, it doesn't matter if you have the best guy on it, but if he's not talking to the right person, you're wasting your time and money. Same same thing, like especially in the IT world, if I have 10 interns, that does not equal one of my Power BI developers because the level of experience and failure, like they could be great interns and they could be great at Googling stuff. And I'm sure they'll figure out some of the basics, but that, have you heard of the 80-20 rule? Yeah. So yeah. So like, you know, 20% of your time, you get 80% of the work done and then 20% of the work takes 80% of your time. That last 20% is huge. Well, I thought huge. it was that there's 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. <laughs> well, it can apply there too. But but that's the thing of like, you can have really talented developers but and, and they can get the basic stuff up quickly. Like a lot of people can. Um, but that last polish that really makes the product good or whatever project you're doing good, um, that's when you get the true like outperformers there. So, you know, when, when I hear some stuff like Twitter or some of the other, other tech companies like, okay, well we're just hiring a shit ton of developers. That's going to make things worse. It's like if, if you're remodeling a bathroom and it's like a tiny bathroom and you hire 10 guys to work on that bathroom, it's not going to be efficient. You're, that bathroom's not going to get done 10 times as fast versus if you just have one really competent person. Which my thing would be more, I feel like instead of it being like, hey, it's a small bathroom, like it's, yeah, you're not going to be able to fit everyone in there. My thing is more what happens when you have a huge house project sure. where it's going to be like, hey, this is a seven figure build. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we handle this? Well, we need people. Yeah. So you just start throwing people at it because that's that's where my concern comes in. Yeah. Because obviously it's if there's too many people in a confined area, then it's like, <laughs> what are we all doing here? Right. Well, but then when you have like you've got a big project, sure. I need a lot of people, but once I just start like throwing stuff at the wall, you start finding out like, hey, like there's there's a lot there's I don't know. Well, so for, for your example, for the big house, say you hire all the right people, right? But there's no project manager. And so everyone gets on site at 6 a.m. And then you have everyone exactly at the same time. And you have the roofers there at the same time as the concrete guys at the same time as the siding guys at the same time, the glass and window guys. It's going to be a shit show, right? You need someone to organize all the chaos. And that's when, when I talk about corporate leadership, that's like that's what leadership has to do. They have to be the people in the room to be like, okay, Thaddeus, you go do this. And then once Thaddeus is done, Alex, you go do this. Right, which I get that. So maybe in some ways to kind of direct it a little more. It seems that obviously there's a lot of stressful work environments or very heavy task oriented work environments with a lot of deadlines. Yeah. But it also seems like every once in a while you'll, you'll kind of come across some people where it seems like you're kind of BSing your way through this Mm -hmm. or you're kind of just along for the ride. Oh yeah. So where's that line in terms of, Hey, like you don't want to be riding someone like a mule, 
You're right. But at the same time, you don't want them sitting back and eating grapes all day and going, hey, like. Yeah. I And I think that really comes down to talented project management. And just because you're a good leader, just because you're a good manager doesn't necessarily mean that you have that, right? A good project manager is going to be able to sniff out the people just eating blueberries. Like they're going to be able to tell. It was grapes. Grapes. Sorry, I switched to blueberries. Um, but they're going to be able to sniff out. And, and I think it takes a lot of maturity and wisdom for companies to be able to look at their employees and say, okay, I noticed that routinely when I assign this guy to the job, it takes twice as long and it holds up the rest of the project because a lot of people are afraid to go back and say, I, I messed up, you know, even as a manager to say, I hired the wrong person and, and go back and say, okay, we need to try again. We need to find it's worth it at this point, because if I have five projects and this guy's holding up each one of my five projects, how much more money am I losing than hiring someone else and training them to do it right? Maybe this is where your job comes in because no one listens to this podcast, so I'm not worried about it. Um, <laughs> I talked to someone, yeah, and how do I? They have a job, yeah, and they have another job that they're doing on the side, sure. Which I do that, yeah. but I have a job that I need to work full time, mm-hmm. and then. On my off hours, I get to go do more work if I want to. Right. With this, it seemed like, from the way it was described to me, this person had a job that they were getting paid for that didn't take that much time, Mm -hmm. but the people didn't really understand what it was. Yeah. So that person was able to kind of go do their stuff on the side. Mm-hmm. I, during, kind of, the, and, during the time when they should have been doing their main work, which, technically. Kind of. And for that person, it was like, well, it's basically done. Yeah. Because it just takes like half the time that they expect. There, There's an entire subreddit on Reddit dedicated to people having multiple jobs because especially after COVID everything went remote Yeah, and especially in the tech industry if if you're doing a say like you're a senior analyst They recommend that you go and you apply to three junior analyst positions and pretend you have less experience then automate all of your crap so then you're working three jobs, but then pulling all the income in from three jobs and then they have excuses that you can use to not be a part of meetings so how to pretend you're looking busy. Like it's not just any industry, like multiple people have figured out how to do this. Of How do I play the system of looking like I'm working nine hours a day, but not really. And I mean, if you can get away with it, sure, fine. I like, which that I feel weird about. That, I, right? I don't think it's ethical. Don't get me right. Like don't, it's not ethical. And, but some companies are so big that if you're doing the bare minimum, and you know a little bit about what you're doing, you're blowing them away. They're like, oh, th- this junior analyst is great. He, he works really fast. He gets all his stuff done on time. We have to, never have to worry about him not getting his stuff done. And maybe they're okay with that. But at the end of the day, you don't really have someone that's all checked in there. They're, like, they're, they're doing three other jobs and probably napping on you know in the afternoon. Ignorance is a very interesting thing to me yeah. in, in the workplace. Like, and it cuts in so many different directions. Right. Because that, like, 
you see stuff like that and you go like if people only knew like hey what goes what what actually goes into what you're asking right and that's just but, but part of me is like good for them though but but at the same time a lot of companies have built out like especially when you look at corporate america and i i've worked for really big organizations like really big telecom and it Telecom is almost as bad as government in terms of disorganization, the amount of politics there is involved in terms of, okay, well, if you, if you want to change this, you have to get like five approvals and it's going to take like five years to, to get that approval to make that one tiny change versus a smaller company is going to be much more agile in terms of like, oh, hey, get it updated. I don't care how you do it. Just get it updated. So for me personally, I found that working at those really big companies with all the politics and all the, yeah, it's really easy. Some people go in and they, they work 40 years there because they want a laid back job with no stress. They want to get a consistent paycheck and they know if they meet the bare minimum, they're immediately like they're set basically. Um, but I, I put the blame in terms of the organization in terms of if, if you're a leader in that organization, you haven't enabled that type of person to work there. So it's all about your company culture and the level that you set. Because you can have a huge company and still be efficient as hell and not not have the world. I mean, even Google started realizing recently, oh, we have a ton of people who are just bumming free rides because our organization has gotten so big. We have no way to monitor. Okay, is this guy actually working nine hours? So like, okay, we've got umpteen programmers. How do we know that this this guy is actually producing work? And so when you know as things have come through they've cut back a lot of people and they've they fired a ton of people because like you haven't added anything of value for years i have a friend i climb with who used to work at google and his company was a tiny engineering company that got acquired by google and his this engineering group that they were a part of was like over a thousand people his engineering team was like five people and every quarter this engineering team would have a big presentation about all the projects they're working on. The only projects they ever talked about were the the projects that this group of five people were doing, but a thousand people were claiming credit for it. Of like, oh, look at all the look at all this great stuff that we're working. On. I was like, no, 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 like this is literally just the work of five people. But everyone's claiming, oh, look what we did. So it's it's totally up to the organization in terms of their structuring it that way, and they're allowing those type of people to thrive there. So that's what you're going to get, right? You're going to attract more of those type of people. Along the lines of your 80-20 rule, there's a saying, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but it goes, out of 100 people in a fight, 70 shouldn't be there. 20 are going to fall quickly. Yeah. 10 are going to do, or 9 are going to do a lot of the hard fighting, mm-hmm. and there's going to be one <laughs> that's left to bring everyone home. I like that. That's yeah. a good one. So, because that's, that's what I start to think of, like, and that that... That's where my perspective is just from seeing the smaller company side, but mm-hmm. in for me trying to zoom out and say, okay, like I've seen I've seen what it looks like on a small scale. Right. Obviously I want to get to a big scale. Mm-hmm. So I don't want I don't want freeloaders. Yeah. So it's like how do we build that in terms of like, hey, like if you're here, uh, we bleed to make money. Right. So well, but I think and I think that's why competition's so good. Like you see what happens when Apple gets to the top and Steve Jobs isn't there anymore. And they're just like, ah, okay, it's the same phone. It's the iPhone 200. 
we, we've we've now changed the shape a little bit but you know what i mean in yeah, terms of like get companies get so big and they get comfortable it's like you just get so far ahead of the race it, you're not the little guy anymore you you don't have to struggle anymore everything's easy so you kick back you sit you put your feet up and then like okay and then all the hardworking people get old or get tired or go somewhere else and then all you're left with are the people who are just sitting there like okay well this is comfortable let's keep doing this which I know something we talked about um, probably a year ago was burnout. Yeah. So, because you do, you can see that. Like, you put a lot of people in those high-pressure situations. Yeah. You've got small companies. You've got especially a lot of small business owners because, like, you, you've got business owners at large where they're going to be sharing that stress. But if you've got a thousand-person company, you've got the executives who might be feeling that, but the ratio is, like, Everyone on the survey seems to be doing all right. Right. Whereas you've got a small company, it's like you, that's two or three people all of a sudden, you know that that owner is like, yeah, riding that stress level all the time. So, from what you've seen on your end, mm-hmm. like, one, how do you deal with stress that that's on a regular basis? And then I know that you had a suggestion for me, but, um, yeah, I'll let you kind of just take it from there. Like, sure. what, what do you see as far as personally that you do uh, in regards to stress level, uh, trying to manage that to make sure that you're a high performer and mm-hmm. that you're not just like run until you fall apart and they're like, cool, next. Um, and then how do you recommend that similar processes for other people? I think it took me quite a few years to figure out what works for me because I tried a lot of different things and I, I failed at a lot of different things. So early on in my career, I had a lot of dreams of, okay, well, I want to try this. And so I would go down, you know, I was like, okay, let me try video game development. Tried video game development. Wasn't my cup of tea. Okay, well, what if I tried, you know, doing apparel? What if I tried just making my own clothes for a little bit? I did that. It was fun. Not my thing. And the more and more I got on things, I put so many things on my plate at one time that I was like, I literally am getting less than six hours of sleep a night. I'm not having a good time. I have no energy for the things that I do enjoy doing. And I'm just pissed off all the time. And I realized, man, I have, I've pulled on all these projects in the hope that one of them takes off, that I'm not doing any of them well. So that's when I realized, okay, I'm, I'm really bad at multitasking and that's okay. That's not my thing. Um, but I'm really good at doing one thing really well. And so I was like, okay, how do I do better at analytics? Okay, what skills do I learn to make me not only just like irreplaceable, but but I have to be in the room. Like people want to include me in the room. Okay, you need to be able to like talk well. You need to be able to, to talk to people, be easygoing. You need to be able to explain concepts well. You need to be able to actually do the technical work for my position. And then I realized, oh, as soon as I started getting good at that, the amount of time I had to spend in all the other things stopped because I was like, oh, being learning how to get really good at one thing gave me a lot more free time. And then I realized, oh, my best work doesn't necessarily come when I'm on the, on the clock doing the work. My best work comes when I'm taking time off and I'm relaxing because a thought's going to come to me. I'm like, oh, I should try that, especially when I'm struggling with a big problem. The best thing I can do is take a break because when I'm struggling with an error or an issue or, or something's not working the way I want it to, or projects not going the way I want to, if I just sit there and stress about it and keep trying the same thing over and over and over again, I never get a different result. And I'm like, 
why am I be? It's been like three days, kind of like the the app I was talking about with my contractor, where he was like, "Dude, I cannot get it." I I always tell people, take a step back, don't think about it. Go do something else. Go for a walk. Go do some push-ups. Go do something, anything else. And then when you're resting or you're doing something else, you, you'll be like, oh, yeah, obviously. Why didn't I try that? And then you'll come back to it. It'll be a completely different problem, and it feels so much easier. Lunch has solved so many problems. Right? Do you know, I, there's been so many walks for me, or like I'll be climbing at the gym, and I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I'm an idiot. That was, uh, I should have gotten that right away. But for, and for some other people, they'll just sit there, and they'll just butt hit their head against it over and over and over again. Like, why isn't it working? It's like, sometimes you need to take a step back and you'd be like, which I, I think you need both. Absolutely. Because in, I, f- I feel like we've, we've probably both seen these people where right. there's some people I hit an issue. Oh, we got an issue. Like, yeah. okay. Uh, there's like, nothing I could do. Uh, yep. what well, did you try something? Oh no. Yeah. I, and then there's other people where it's like, they're just, like, I don't know, like, I do it this thing, I do this thing, I do this thing. It's like, dude, like, get out of here, come back, right. and then... Well, I mean, I think about it this way. Like, there, you need, to, you need to go far enough that you're struggling, but not too far that you, you break something. Like, in terms of, yeah, you could work out 24-7 if you really wanted to. You'd be miserable all the time, and it's not optimal. You still need rest at some point. And if you just rest all the time, then you're just going to get fat. So, you know, just one of, of one path isn't the answer. But knowing yourself well enough to know, okay, I need to take a step back and I need to, like, not think about this or I need to keep pushing. I know it sucks right now. I know it's not working, but I know I need to push through and I know myself that I need to push through to get the answer I need. Yeah. Because I feel like I don't know, my personal opinion is there aren't a lot of people who get to the point where they realize the solution is me to step back. Whereas yeah. it, it seems more off, <clears throat> more often than not that, Hey, you actually just need to sit with that problem and, for and, a while. And that's really like, when I think of experience, I don't, I think it's stupid that a lot of resumes are like, Oh, you need six years of experience doing this. Cause I know people with two years of experience of the same tool that are much more talented than someone with six years of the ex- experience. Like years of experience means nothing. If you don't learn from it or you don't know yourself well enough to know when to step back and when to go in, the older you get, the better you should be getting at that. You use your time well to look back at yourself and say, okay, you know what? I need to push harder here or I need to take a step back. The sooner you can come to that conclusion, the more successful you're going to be because you're going to, it's like if you're, I, I think of like uh, speedrunners in video games, right? Like they know the exact time to press the right button to get this thing and get the st- silly shortcut and all that kind of stuff. It, it it applies exactly to life in terms of you need to know exactly when you need to take the step back and when you need to go in hard. Yeah. And which I think, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of it does come down to leadership because I remember arguing with one of the owners of a company, uh, it was the window and door company. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how like you, like you just need to become the best guy in your area. And that's how you would get to like a leadership position. And I was like, no, I don't think that's right. Yeah. Like, I, if you've got someone who's even just the second best at mm-hmm. what they're doing, but they know how to elevate everyone around them, that's the person you want. Oh, because absolutely. you need the competency inside that job, but the bigger thing on top of that is that you need the person who's going to set the tone mm-hmm. and be able to set, hey, here's how we problem solve. Yeah. And it's not just, Alex, go do a job, give me a report. Right. There's also the aspect to... Hey, um, 
I'm also going to ask you, kind of tell you, here's how I want you to go about doing that. Mm -hmm. And it's not that micromanaging press these keystrokes, but um, when you hit a certain obstacle, don't just come back to me. Mm -hmm. Figure it out. Or work at it, and then once it doesn't work out, then come to me. So one of my favorite things that has stuck with me, I I heard this Navy SEAL kind of talking about how the SEALs pick leaders within their org, right? And Mm -hmm. then they're looking at their their privates are coming in and they're saying, okay, how do we pick the best leader for like a big mission, right? And they have this quadrant. So it's like one, two, three, four. Um, And the bottom bottom left, it's people who aren't high performing um, and, uh, but they're really nice. Like uh, they're, they're like, terrible at performance they're at the the very bottom but they're super friendly and then all the way at the opposite end you have the high performance the best of the best they can do anything but they're also really high on the asshole meter in terms of like they're going to be they're really difficult to get along with they like almost fight with almost every person they talk to all that kind of stuff then the seals took a look at this and they started look examining the, the the people within these ranges of okay you know, how competent they are at their job and how nice, how easy are they to get along with? And they realized that their best leaders that they had weren't the best at their job. They were slightly worse than the best, maybe the third best, maybe the fourth best, maybe even the fifth best, but they were really easy to get along with. They were really good at bringing up the people around them and they understood the value of the people around them. Those were the people who became leaders of the squads and became most successful. Not, not the guy who was in there just raging at everyone saying like, oh, look at me, I'm the best. Y'all never going to be as good as me. Like It was the guy who was third, fourth, or even fifth best, but he's still good at his job, but good enough to know the value of the people around him. Yeah, which and I think for that, the easy application everyone is you need to be able to trust your leaders. Oh, yeah. If you're in, if, the, if there's someone who's the CEO of a company or the top leader, if they've got people below them mm-hmm. in leadership, it's to say, hey, examine your leaders. If, if they're not trusted by their teams, if, if you feel like you can't trust them, they've got to go. Right. That, that's number one. But on top of that, too, I think with the Navy SEAL example is to say they have something all in common yeah. with BUDS that says, here's the minimum threshold. Yeah, exactly. That we got to get to. So obviously... Once you pass that, okay, cool. Who's the tip of the tip of the spear? Right. And some of them are the assholes. And yeah. it's like, okay, like you get the job done, but I never want to see your face outside of work. Right. But um, in some ways it seems, I don't know, I, I guess my concern, maybe it's unfounded, mm-hmm. is that a lot of times the threshold or that barrier to entry has become so low in some cases yeah. that it's to say, in large groups, it's like, guys, what are we doing? Yeah. And it's so much easier for bigger, the bigger your company is, the easier it is to, for that bar to lower because it's easier to go by unnoticed, right? It really, and I think that's why it's super important when people talk about culture. Like, it's not necessarily about, okay, are you offering free smoothies every day? It's like, do we do a trust fall? <laughs> or, yeah, do, do we have nap pods? It's not about that. It's about, Okay, do you create the environment where the people you want to work there work there? Like, do you create a place where the people, the type of people you want to hire work there, want, want to work there? So if you're not offering competitive pay, if you're not, you know, offering, you don't have good people to work with, enjoyable people to work with, 
you're probably not going to get the best employees because they're going to find somewhere else that either pays better or treats them better. So everything's at the end of the day, everything's a uh, a transaction, every job, right? You're paying me to do X. And once it becomes no longer worth it, once you scream at me too much, or once I realize that everyone around me an idiot and I'm having to do 80% of their work, I'm going to go find somewhere else that's going to value me more and going to treat me better. That's always what it comes down to. Yeah. Transitioning to a little bit more of a fun topic. I know you had in the notes chat GPT. Yeah. It's taking the world by storm. It's crazy, man. Uh, Basically, no one's going to have a job and information here in about (laughs) six months. So... Uh, I disagree. I think, I think chat, I mean, how much do you know about chat GPT? First of all, I created the thing. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So you know everything. everything there is okay, yeah, cool, cool. Essentially. I don't know about business intelligence, but <laughs> chat GPT. <laughs> yeah. The, the whole team. You, you, I'm getting reports. Yeah. You I didn't you, know that's what it was. Oh, uh, okay. You, you just created chat GPT to tell you what business intelligence was. Basically. Basically. Okay. When, when I looked it up, I just put, give me. <laughs> a thousand word essay on business intelligence <laughs> i mean you you could do that you could also tell it right now it's like okay give me notes for this podcast on on speaking about in business intelligence and stuff like that and it would create that the the thing about ai and machine learning and all these buzzwords that people are spitting out right now is we're getting to a point now where we have the hardware capabilities of computers to finally keep up with the level of data that we're feeding it. So we've been collecting data like on computers since the 70s. But a big limitation for a lot of this is the speed of accessing that data and the speed of processing that data. Like I don't know if you remember in the 90s, like booting up your computer was like a, a, a five-minute affair. Connecting to the internet, if someone's on the phone, way longer. If you didn't do it right with yeah. Internet Explorer, you clicked it too many times, you've got 11 browsers open. Yeah, you're yeah. Like, you're, you're stuck there for that, that maneuver is going to cost you like 50 years. Yeah. Um, so ChatGPT is really just an AI that has been taught a lot of things. So they've just given it a huge breadth of information and I don't, while it is capable in and of itself in terms of you can say, okay, you know, hey, create this business plan for me. Okay, cool. Now that you've had the business plan, create a website to display all that stuff and it'll give you all the code. Like it can even do SQL and stuff that I do. Like, and it does it incredibly well. Um, I don't think it'll be able to replace someone's job because uh, no offense, but if I put you in front of the computer and told you to say, okay, go do the SQL thing for me, you wouldn't know the right words to use. And so you wouldn't yeah. get a right response yet. Yet, yeah, I'm sure you could figure out, but which and part part of it, it seems that there's some jobs where okay, yeah, there it's not there yet, not yet. And then there's other jobs where it seems like can you fog a mirror? Yes, and that's where it seems like Chat GPT really helps out with absolutely fogging that mirror. So. A good example, it's going to be more like Google than anything else in terms yep. of think about if you go, if you type into Google right now, okay, my truck's making a funny noise. That's not specific enough. And you're going to get a lot of weird answers and mostly wrong answers for what your specific problem is. But if you're like, oh, my belt's squeaking every time I turn it on and it's under 30 degrees, you're going to get a much more specific answer. Chat GBT is the exact same way in terms of it's going to be really helpful but you're going to have to know how to frame the question correctly in terms of if you can say, okay, act like a real estate agent, sell me a house that's in this area 
that has these qualities and write me a piece of paragraph to describe this on Zillow. It could do that. And that's going to be way better than sell me a house. So it's going to be a lot of uh, the most successful people out of this are going to be the people who know how to use chat GBT rather than chat GBT by itself. It's still a huge deal. I mean, Microsoft's invested over a hundred million dollars into it. So big stuff's going to happen with it. And a lot of people are already starting to integrate it into their system. So they're using it and you don't even know that you're using it. It's just, it feels so human-like, but. Which in something we had talked about on here before is mm -hmm. I feel like it acceler it accelerates us towards greater ignorance at the societal level. Because sure. I, I don't need to know things as much anymore. So before, yes, it was Google. Um, like I could search for something, but now it seems that it, if you want to know something from me, mm -hmm. and if I can get just disconnected enough to where you put it in the question in an email, yeah, I don't need to know it to get back to you. So um, part of my kind of thought process with that is, do we get to a point with some of this that we go into almost an intellectual dark ages where we can use some of these AIs as a crutch? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, there's a lot of people. I, so I think the problem is with ChatGBT, it's only as good as the data that's fed to it. And it'll say every, which is a lot, which is a lot, but some of that data can be wrong, right? Like humans have consistently been wrong, right? Like we, we led entire crusades on people who argued that the sun was the center of the universe back before we found out any better. It's, there's a lot of times where even ChatGPT is going to be fed the wrong answer and you're going to type it in and it's going to be the wrong answer, but it's going to be so confident that you're going to be like, Oh yeah, sounds good. So something I've noticed is yeah, technically it gives the right answer, but without context, it's not going to go anywhere. So the successful people are not going to be the people who just use it as a crutch. It's going to be the people who use it alongside with their knowledge. Right. But the, there are going to be people who kids in high school are already using ChatGPT to write their papers for them. My dad is a professor at GCC and he typed in some criteria into ChatGPT mm -hmm. and he's like, after reading it, he's like, I think I've seen this paper before. It's crazy. No, it, it's it's totally, it's so capable. And there's going to be a lot of students and people who are going to use on it, use it as a crutch. But ultimately, it's it's going to hurt them. It's If you use it as right. a replacement, then you're not using this at all. And this is going to be like, okay, I don't need to do anything. So Which, and there's no way to stop it. So sure. I, I don't want to in any way argue for, hey, yeah. we need to go back to an abacus and an encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it does seem like, all right, where's, uh, I was having a conversation with my dad about it in mm -hmm. terms of, I think the higher education system is going to have to have a real conversation about what is learning and what are we doing at these higher education centers? Because it does seem that from my opinion, watching people who went to college, that a lot of it is a game at a certain level to get your bachelor's in my mind is a game. Yes. I'm, I'm paying you money. You're giving me assignments. I just have to give you something back so that at the end of this, you give me a piece of paper that says, I know something. Right. Or, but it's no longer, I know something, I did something. Right. Because I don't even need to know what you're asking me to give you. But, but that's also the point is like for most 
places do you really need a bachelor's anymore? Bachelors have become so synonymous here that and and every and university has gotten ridiculously out of hand for for cost. Yeah. So like, does it really make sense with the apps like access to information that we have now? Does it really make sense for me to go pay forty thousand dollars a year to go get a business degree? No, absolutely not. I'm no. totally with you on that. The the only advantages to university nowadays are the connections that you're going to get and being able to say that you're an alma mater of a certain place. And really, even that doesn't matter that much. At the end of the day, just getting your foot in the door, starting to work with someone and getting real work experience, I'm going to take that guy over the guy with a four-year degree any day. I don't care if you have a degree as a manager. I just care that you know your stuff and that you can do what I ask you to do. Like If that means that you use ChatGBT to do it, I don't really care as long as the work's good. So if you're good at using that and that's, that's how you get your work done. All right, cool. Like for me, it doesn't matter as, as long as I can have a conversation with you, explain what I need you to do and you get it done. I'll, I'll take the guy who can use chat GPT and then chill versus the guy who said, you know, said, Oh, I took four years of this and I know everything there is to know. And then I ask him to do anything and he blanks. Yeah. Which I think it's like you said, it's going to be a very useful tool. Yeah. I'll probably mess around with it and <laughs> see like, Hey, if I can get an advantage out of it, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to use it. There, there's already people out there right now who are contracting and showing like, they're saying, Oh, I'm a chat GPT instructor. And they're going and giving courses for $200,000 to businesses of like, this is how you leverage this. Like the instructors. It's, it's going to be a big deal, and there's going to be a lot of cool uses from it. But I don't know about you, but I don't make 200000 yet, so maybe we should figure out how to do that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, but that's the thing is, is there's going to be so much application. And then on top of that, when you buy or you subscribe to ChatBBT, because it's like a two-week subscription thing, once you get it, you can train it yourself and have your own model you can have a thaddeus's model so say you wanted to use it for real estate and you had a website and you wanted to have anytime people messaged you on the website chat gbt answered and you know like after working in a job for a while you know all the basic questions that always come and so basically you can just filter it through and say okay hey every time you get this basic answer hey where should i start hey what are good materials hey what are this you it already knows what to respond with it's like hey you can check out my youtube channel if you'd look up here it has all this and there's already dumber ai that isn't chat gbt that can do that incredibly well like i don't know if you've ever had to deal with like um cox's communication like their their website no. they have like a smart ai in there already so i can say okay what's my bill and it'll connect to my info and say okay let's validate who you are and then oh your bill is you know 80 bucks this next month and it's going to charge on this day like all that stuff's already built in companies are already starting to use that because that's one less person that you have to have at a computer that's one less person that you have to ask hey okay you need to stay around just in case someone messages you i'm just waiting for when they start automating construction i mean 3d printing it's coming yeah. I, I don't think 3D printing is a replacement for current construction, though. Like, it's cool, but I don't think it's viable yet. Um, I think it's going to, I don't know that it's going to be the next, like, oh, this is the next evolution of, like, timber framing. Like, probably not. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. But it's cool. They're probably just going to develop robots that can do everything. I mean, send a fleet of robot people if, into here's your drywall robot. 
here's your concrete robot, here's your painting robot. Is, is the electrician robot's uh, job just to leave trash everywhere? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then they just have a Roomba that they send in after to pick up everything? Yeah, essentially. <laughs> and it just says freaking electricians the entire time it's driving around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I'd love to harass my brother about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, we crossed the hour mark. Is there anything else we want to cover? I'm good, I've, unless there's anything you want to talk about. I think I'm good for the evening. All right. All right, we got a couple of rapid questions for you real quickly. All right. What's the most impactful thing you've learned? Ever? That, that, rapid fire? Oh, jeez. Um, my dad's advice of... If you can learn from other people's mistakes, it's a lot less uh, a lot less painful to learn it yourself. What's your favorite movie? Oh, jeez. I'll go with the one that I've watched the most. It's not necessarily my favorite, but I've watched Tron Legacy the most. First character strength that comes to mind? Of my own? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Wisdom. Favorite board game? Catan is pretty good. But I also like Wingspan never played those oh they're both very good games nice uh where can people follow you or uh see what you're doing uh let's do something is my my uh user on uh instagram uh but it's uh sum thing so yeah gotcha. add me follow me i don't like post ever but if you want to talk to me about analytics or chat gbt or anything feel free to dm me yeah and he might just respond with a chat GPT answer. <laughs> yeah, actually, my, my DM bot and Instagram, it's, al- it's already set up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You can find what I'm doing in real estate at Thad AZ Realty, what we're doing in construction at Saito underscore building. Um, we've been saying it for a while, but we're actually trying to get that going for February with extra content for uh, YouTube in regards to construction stuff. Uh we're talking with Mason about getting stuff going for real estate. So that should be on the horizon. Uh, we'll just, we've got life going on. And yeah. So till next time, I hope your hammer stays accurate, your Wi Fi fast, and you work blessed. See everybody. All right. See ya.